I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to this episode of Coffee with the Pastors, the podcast. We have a fun discussion today that's relevant to some of our ministry at the Oakton Church of the Brethren. Uh, But before we jump into that today, we'll do our Where We've Noticed God Recently. And Tim, you're up. You get to go first. Well, I think I've noticed God in particular in some of the questions, really deep, big kind of questions that people have been throwing around in my circles recently. And sometimes I think uh, seminary didn't even always provide clarity and answers, but it helped you ask the right questions. Mm. And so it's just kind of fun to, fun might not be the best right word, but it's a privilege, privilege and meaningful to be along the ride with some people as they ask really big questions and you can see God just in the in the interest in looking for and searching for what's really going on. Hmm. How about you, Audrey? Where have you seen God recently? Well, mine's kind of been a sad uh, experience, maybe about a week ago now. I was sitting in our bay window area and watched a beautiful bird collide with our window and it was very sad it hit hard (laughs) and so I went outside and I wanted to move the bird out of the middle of our yard because we have a surprisingly for being in northern Virginia we have quite a lot of wildlife in our our area fox food fox food and so I didn't want the poor bird to be helpless and end up being food and so I wanted to move it out of the middle of the yard into a more secluded place where it could recover from being stunned. I didn't know how long it was going to take the bird to recover, so I decided to sit at a distance, just keeping my eye on it, figuring that my presence would keep any predators at bay. And I, I could tell the moment that the bird died. It was so sad. So at that point, I, I scooped up the bird and put it to, into He has some tall grass on the side of the yard, and I put it over there, hoping that that would kind of protect it a little bit. I found myself, as I was laying the bird down, just saying, like, you know, thank you, God, for this beautiful life. And then I laid it down, and immediately what came to my mind was the scripture about God attending to the birds and how much more important are we than the birds. And usually I've seen that as, like, a humanity is at, a higher level of interest to God. But in that moment, it was like my noticing of your life going out, it wasn't more important or less important. It was just, it goes unnoticed sometimes. Humanity, you know, whether it's the relationships that we have, oftentimes when someone's life ends, it's noticed by, by people. And so to me, it was less of a, I don't know, it almost enlightened that text for me and that it's not that 
the birds or nature or animals aren't important to God. It's just that it's, you know, we notice each other's passing, but it felt like a privilege in that moment to kind of hold vigil for this bird whose life could have easily gone away mm-hmm. and not be noticed. So it, in a very weird way, it felt like a sacred moment and it was heartbreaking and <laughs> I'm still mourning the little bird. I see God in that whole moment and, and almost feel like in some ways I was I was participating in God's appreciation of the world God created by acknowledging this life of a little little thrush bird, beautiful bird. It's sad. <laughs> not not all noticing God moments are joyful. <laughs> but beautiful still, nonetheless. All right, so what are we talking about today, Audrey? Well, we're recording this episode right before we have a children and youth-led worship on Sunday morning. By the time this podcast is dropped, it'll have already happened, but we're kind of proactively reflecting on the experience, in part because I've found the process of coordinating this service to be very spiritual for me because of the, the way invitations have happened. And as I think about framing this worship for the congregation to be receptive of it, you know, I've I've wanted to provide some theological reflection on why this worship is significant. Mm -hmm. And so it really got me thinking about children and youth serving in the church in significant ways. And so I wanted to bring that to the podcast for discussion because there's a couple things in particular that uh, really excite me about this coming opportunity for the congregation to to kind of sit under the tutelage of our children and youth for a week mm-hmm. and what broader implications that have for a congregation. So I've been thinking about it in a couple ways that I want to talk about. First, like why including young persons in leadership in the church? Why is that important? Why do it? The second is how, how to do it well, to include them well. Mm-hmm. And then the third, what do we learn when we do this as a church? I want to talk about those three things and uh, give a little bit of a theological framework for why this is so important. Why do you think we should include young people in the church? Well, they're a part of it. Yeah. It's the body of Christ. That's right. Church of the Brethren, obviously, baptism holds a lot of weight in your decision to become a part of the church. But upon the moment you are born, we hold your your life to be a sacred part of this body and we covenant to be with you and so we do want to participate in all of this yeah. learning from one another uh, fellowshipping with one another absolutely yeah and I, I think oftentimes when we think about young persons in the church we think about the responsibility the church has to forming their faith but we don't very often think about how the presence of children and youth form our faith. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right that part of what is important about including children and youth in leadership is it begins to prompt them towards a life of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just I come to church so that I can have my faith formed by you, but there's a already before adulthood, they're beginning to think about how 
discipleship is a responsibility and something that I take ownership of mm-hmm. rather than something that is bestowed upon me. Yeah, and it's, it's meant to be participated in. Right, and not just passively received. Right. And I, I think that's an, a really important thing to communicate early on. So I alluded to it already. One of the important pieces is we don't necessarily know uh, if we don't include children in the faith formation process of the whole congregation, what they might teach us. And I've heard those that teach children and youth finding really significant moments when they say certain things, like being formative to them and Mm -hmm. their faith. Uh, But we don't talk about that very often in terms of like a formal, like what can these people teach the whole congregation? We often think about it's just our responsibility to imbue them with faith knowledge. Uh, That gets me thinking. We were talking about this in our Bible study here at Oakton a couple weeks ago about what it is about the children that Jesus says you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we kind of discerned, you know, there's a certain amount of knowing that you don't know everything uh, and being willing to learn still that comes with being a child, being vulnerable and knowing when you need help and asking, being someone that is still teachable. Mm -hmm. That is of, of value, I think, to the kingdom. But being willing to ask questions, being curious, those are all values that children kind of come by naturally. And youth, I think, especially when it comes to like questions and yeah. exploration and curiosity. Self-differentiation. Yeah, exactly. Like they're in the process of trying to figure out who am I? And, you know, they might help us ask those types of questions. It's like, who, who am I as a person of faith? How, how do I understand that? And why is that important? And you know, those types of questions are questions that we should be asking our whole life long. Yeah, and it's kind of like my wiggy out there at the beginning. I mean, you right. notice God present when you open yourself up to realize I don't have it all. Exactly. Squared yeah. away and in my categorical little boxes and I know exactly how I'm going to participate in the world now until the box just starts to crumble and then all of a sudden you're that 16 year old kid again at square one. <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say is that I think having those children who ask those questions and are searching answers helps us as adults when we face when we when we come to face situations that we don't feel like we have the resources to address whether it's a crisis or you know, a moment of faith where our understanding of who God is and the world is falls apart. When we're kids, we understand that to be just reality, is that we're constantly learning new things and applying what we learn to life. Whether we realize it or not. Exactly. Whether yeah. we realize it or not, that, that just comes with being school-aged, <laughs> is you're constantly learning new things. And then the expectation is that when you're an adult, you get it all figured out, and therefore you don't have to continue to ask these questions. But that is just not reality. Yeah, you act like you've got it all figured out, and you hope that you can play the part really, really well. Right. Which is essentially what you do in high school, too. High schoolers, a lot of times, are they're acting what they think they're supposed to be doing, or they're acting in a certain way to see if that that'll work in testing different limits and boundaries and this kind of thing, right? I mean, that's a, a another form of learning. 
But you lean into it in high school, especially with extra confidence. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was going to say, as we were talking about still being teachable, there, there's a stage, I think, in teenagehood that we all go through where we do think we know it all. Like, I don't want to gloss over that reality. Uh, that is a oh, very my mom's calling yeah. me right now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I think the other just kind of basic, really important piece of why we include children and youth in worship is because Christ included children sure and so we embody something important to christ when we do it let the children come to me yeah so i I think it's also important when we talk about including children though that we do it well and so my my caution in including children is that does not mean you take an adult position and plop a child in it Hmm. and that's not because they're incapable but that position may not be best utilizing their gifts and abilities. Mm-hmm. There may be some that do. I remember, I think we might have even mentioned it on this podcast before, that both you and I served on our church board mm-hmm. as youth. There was mm-hmm. a special special position in our congregation for youth to serve on the board and provide leadership. And we've had conversations here at Oakton about calling some youth intentionally into those kind of service type positions Mm -hmm. so there may be some like that but for instance you know i'm bringing up this conversation in the context of us having a children and youth led worship on sunday we didn't ask our youth to preach a sermon we asked two of our youth to tell a story and i think my intuition is Now, when we get to the end of those stories, they're going to look an awful lot like a sermon. Mm. But we didn't frame it that way, in part because they needed language that was probably more approachable to them. Mm -hmm. um, That would get at something that they were more familiar with than saying, I want you to preach a sermon. They likely would not have said yes. Mm -hmm. But what I asked them to do was to tell a story about a time when they either weren't expecting to find God and God showed up or they went looking for God and God was there. That's what I asked them to do. And I got immediate yeses from both of them. Yeah. Another example, instead of doing an invocation prayer on Sunday, we're doing something a little bit more creative where our youngest kids who love playing hide and seek or love like hiding easter eggs and finding them they're going to take these posters that have the names of the trinity on them and hide them around the sanctuary and we're going to find them as a part of the invocation prayer Mm -hmm. i'm not calling it an invocation prayer even though that's exactly what it is Mm. it's we're calling it a seeking prayer and in it we're intentionally noticing that god is already among us which is exactly what an invocation prayer does it invokes god's presence in that it calls upon God to be present, but in it, it recognizes that God is already here among us. We don't actually have, you know, the expectation that we have this great power to call God on on down, but it's more of our own recognition that God is here. So some of it is, you know, changing your expectations of the roles. We've got worship leaders that are providing their own thought up resources for this worship. For an adult, I tell them the theme and I say, I want you to do these things in worship. And they say, okay. And they do it. They do it. They show up on Sunday. They've written their own resources. I haven't done that with these kids, 
the kids that are participating in worship, I coach them into like, here's some really good questions to help you think about this. I gave a lot more guidance. We also are doing parts in worship that we don't usually do Mm -hmm. to be inclusive of kids and their gifts and the, you know, developmentally where they are. Right? I'm not going to ask Anita to read the scripture because she cannot read, (laughs) but there are ways to include her and think outside the box in terms of what it means to be leading in worship. So those are some of the things that I've been pondering is that if we are going to ask children and youth to lead, we may need to broaden what we're expecting in terms of asking them to fulfill responsibilities. We can't just plop them down into a traditional role that we've had and expect them to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and even once they get to a certain age when they can think a little more creatively, imaginatively about what is involved in in worship, I think we got to be there ready to say, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's great. You lead. Mm-hmm. This is yours. Yeah. Right? Let you take ownership of guiding us all in worship. Mm-hmm. Part of that only happens when you've given permission for children and youth to have a part to begin with. Yeah, They're... see themselves in it, exactly. right? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing I would say is that we have to have a different expectation of what excellence is in worship. Hmm. Because so often what I, I've felt this tension, not at Oakton, but in other places, whether as a youth or as someone that was trying to include youth, that they're not going to be good enough. They're not going to be up to our standards to ask them. Mm-hmm. And so as I was thinking about this, um, I went to the uh, the story of Jesus telling the Pharisees who kept criticizing him for breaking Sabbath laws and, and meeting with unsavory people and, you know, not, not holding fast to the form of religion that was important to them. But Jesus responded to them, go think about what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Hmm. And by mercy, I, I kind of see that as a, a love word, a way of talking about an opening up Thinking beyond, in terms of sacrifice in this instance, he was talking about really strict following of religious laws that didn't end up including people. It it often excluded people rather than doing what was intended. And he's actually quoting a text from Hosea Hmm. when he says that. That's also looking at community that has valued ritual and worship over caring for the poor and the needy that's part of what was going into my head is when we do this when we when we desire excellence over inclusion i think that's another way of saying what jesus was saying to the pharisees in that moment is that we need to find ways to not be so strict to our expectations of right worship that we miss out on a worship that is led by and includes everyone in our midst. Mm-hmm. The other thing that Jesus said then that goes with this is that Sabbath was, Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity made for Sabbath. And so we don't serve a form, like a platonic form of worship that's perfect. Worship is meant to facilitate our authentic relationship with God and one another. 
And so we can do whatever we want in that that's going to facilitate that because this thing was meant for our ability to worship. As long as we're coming before God with earnestness. And half the time, the kids most certainly are. Right. Because they're engaging it with this with this open heart, open mind, even if they're not processing it on the same level, right? I mean, when Anita's jingling our keys while she's singing the first uh, song during worship, she is engaging God, no doubt about it. And it's a Is she paying attention to the words of praise to the Lord the Almighty? No. But she also can't read them. And so, so it's not inclusive of her yeah. to expect that she's going to be able to do it exactly the same way that I am. Yeah. She's in being included by using our keys as a shaker and yeah. shaking along with the song. And I worry to a, a, a great deal about the generations where we asked kids to sit there and be quiet with your pencil and doodle during worship. What did we just communicate about your time spent with God? Mm -hmm. Right. It's we, not as important as the adults' time spent with God. Yeah. So I think the last important thing to talk about is there are things that we learn just by having young persons in leadership. And I, I, I started hinting at this a little bit, and you were talking about it too, that in part, uh, there's a certain amount of chaos <laughs> and lack of order and structure that naturally happens when you involve kids, in part because kids haven't gotten to the point where they're so even developmentally, they're so worried about what other people think that that's what's driving their behaviors. Mm. They're genuine in saying what comes to their minds or moving their bodies at a time that it feels like that's when you're supposed to move your body. And certainly, you know, part of what we do as parents and as teachers is to kind of teach them appropriate ways to express emotion, express uh, the need to move, like when we do those things. But sometimes we get so caught up in that teaching moment that we also, we stifle some of this natural expression. What I think if we let that happen, one of the things that it teaches us is that we don't actually have to have this perfect thing, perfect put together church, perfect put together worship, perfect put together business structure for God to show up. Mm -hmm. If we allow kids to have a little bit of chaos, it actually communicates something theologically about how we anticipate God being able to be present with us. I found this quote from a book called Life Maps, Conversations on the Journey of Faith. And it said, faith is always on the way. To go in circles is appropriate because it is part of the nature of faith's process knowing to trust and trust, trusting to know. And what I liked about that quote goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of our life trajectory with faith. We often think of it as a straight line, but when we engage faith with children, we realize it's much more cyclical hmm. and that we keep coming back to some of those crucial transitional moments where we have to ask some of the same questions again and we might actually get bigger and different answers depending on where we are. I, I think about it in terms of as a kid, we know that God is love. And that's a really foundational thing that we learn. And we learn about it in terms of God loves me. I have value. As we get into a little bit older, we also learn that God's love sometimes is is hard. 
and that God expects us to do things that cause for thriving. And that's not always our first thought uh, is that it love might... Love has challenge. Yeah. Um, that love love can sometimes mean that I get corrected or I have to confess that I, I didn't do what I was supposed to. And then when we become adults, sometimes we find out that God's love is also for my enemy. Mm-hmm. And so as we grow, we come back to this reality that God is love, but we keep growing into different understandings of what that love might look like because our, our world gets more and more complex. But I think when we, when we engage children in being able to teach us something about faith, we keep coming back to these, these fundamentals and thinking about them in new ways. I think this is particularly important, as we said, if when we come into moments of chaos and crisis, that we don't have to have all the answers, but sometimes God is love is what we need to hear in that moment. So I think the other thing that's important when we include children in leadership, we also begin to break them out of what we see as their role in church. Too often we think about children coming to church to learn. And that kind of also then isolates Christian formation to Sunday school. Whereas I think Christian education, as as that one quote said, is along the way. And so sometimes uh, there's this really, it's as old as me, but a really great resource that the Church of the Brethren put out in 1988 called Partners in Learning, Christian Education in the Church of the Brethren, a study resource for districts and congregations. This was written by uh, Donna Steiner. She's talking about how Christian education is present in all of life. And so Hmm. she talks about, yes, in structured settings, like in the Sunday church room, we call our Sunday school faith formation. But then she also talks about how it's present in sharing God's love and how we serve or how we participate in informal activities like choir, church fellowship meals, in spontaneous moments where like you get a phone call from someone or um, you randomly run into someone in the grocery store that has, that smiles at you. You hear a compliment. It could be in those kinds of things. Uh, shared experiences that happen both inside and outside the congregation. Like um, during the pandemic, we had a couple times where like we went on hikes with people and that was a really important shared experience in times of pain and distress, whether that be when a family member dies or you're struggling with a job change or a broken relationship. And then it, when you experience God's comfort and healing through prayer, anointing, laying on of hands, these are all things that she names as starting to broaden our understanding of where God can be present, where God can form our faith through one another. Doesn't just happen in Sunday school, although you know I, I'm not, that's not to devalue that time. That is an important part of the education process, and I know Nita learns so much about. Bible stories and how to apply those to her life through Sunday school, through our faith formation. But, you know, kids are watching all those other times too. Exactly. And soaking those, in something. Right. And it might just be that, oh, God's not here. Or, I hope God is here. Right. And God's a part of this. And church people show up 
or my family values this this God so much that they're going to pause and pray at this moment where something has happened, or we're going to celebrate and include church friends and 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 people too because this is an important part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so ultimately, all of this communicates a more full and holistic understanding of discipleship that is so central to what it means to be Church of the Brethren. Unfortunately, I think kids get the raw end of the stick when we try to have a quiet, (laughs) solemn worship Mm -hmm. service that isn't interrupted by shuffle and noise that is going to happen when children are present. Mm -hmm. But we teach them something, and they teach us something when, when they're included in these places. Yeah. It breaks open our understanding of who God is and how we are in relationship with one another because of that common identity in God. We're all called children of God. (laughs) And so there's something about children, not just in terms of heritage, I think is how it's often understood. You know, we, we are like God in some ways, and there's this common beneficiary of God's love, but we are all children of God. And so it may be that we also need to sit under the tutelage of children and youth sometimes and figure out what that means. All right, I'll try. No, I learn something new every day from my kids. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for joining us on this exploration of how we can best include children and youth in the life of the church and how we can all become like children as we come to understand what this kingdom of God is really like. Of course, we welcome feedback and further conversation. If you'd like to reach out to us, feel free to message us at coffeewiththepastorspodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. In this podcast, references were made to the following resources. Life Maps, Conversations on the Journey of Faith by Jim Fowler and Sam Keen. In the 1988 annual conference Church of the Brethren statement called Partners in Learning, Christian Education in the Church of the Brethren, a study resource for districts and congregations by Donna Steiner. Check out any of these things for more information.